0: I feel like for most of us, when someone is an advocate for us, like when they're in our corner, we just feel like we could do anything. right? You know what it's like if you've ever had that person? I mean, maybe it was a great coach or a great teacher, but man, they just spoke words of affirmation into your life, and when they spoke, you thought it was true. We all need that. We all want that. In fact, we should all have that. And so I was thinking this week about what it looks like to be an advocate for someone, to speak words of affirmation and encouragement. And so I was thinking how the place that should happen the most, it doesn't always. By the way, I apologize for the feedback right now. they changed mics this week, so we'll see how that goes. But right, well, it'll, make, it'll work out. But I was thinking about this week about how the greatest advocates should be parents for their children. Now, that doesn't mean, like, your children don't do dumb stuff that should get in trouble. That's not what I'm saying. But, but we should be advocates. Our, our kids should always know that there's someone in the corner. And so I want to say, for some of you today, you didn't have that with your parents. And I want to say, first, I'm sorry. Because you should have. You should have. All of us should have experienced it. That's the way God intended that to work. We just know that sometimes people didn't choose that. And so I was thinking about my own kids, about how um, there are things I want to teach them. Like I want them to know certain things. And so I was thinking, what are the things I want them to know, right? I want them to know how to throw a ball. Like, I know it sounds funny, but I, I think they should be able to throw a ball and tie their shoes. We're not quite great at it, but we're getting better, right? Um, they should know which clothes match and don't match. I mean, that doesn't mean I have to wear them that match, but they should at least know. I was thinking, what are the things that they should know? Um, I want them to know that hard work matters, that you should work hard in everything you do, um, that you should make, have live a healthy lifestyle, they should be smart with their money. Like, those are things that I think every parent should teach their kid. Um, I want them to look out for other people and to do the right thing. Those seem pretty good, right? I want them to be honest and learn that honesty matters. Um, but there are some things I pray for them every single night. And these are things that I really want them to know. And so I pray every night that they will choose to be kind and compassionate and courageous. Three things I pray every night. I'm going to give you a list, so that's not, that's not it. But uh, kind and compassionate and courageous. And then I one of the things I pray is I pray they will choose to follow after Jesus with their life. Right. Those are all choices they make. I don't get to make those for them. They get to choose to live out those behaviors or to follow Jesus. I have no say in those at the end of the day. I also pray um, that they will know they're smart. That sounds like a weird thing to pray, right? But we live in a world where often lots of other people will tell them other things. And so for me, I want them to hear, I think you're smart. I think you're capable. I think you can do this. And then I was thinking about what are other things that I pray in that, right? Um, I always pray that they would know how much their mom and I love them. I want them to know that they are loved. And there's nothing they can ever do that will not quit loving them. But it's not where I start the prayer. In fact, I start the prayer at the exact same spot every single night, like, Used to be, I've changed it up a little bit. I've gotten a little older, but it used to be Isaac could recite my prayer. <laughs> um, now i mess them up because it's not exactly the same, but it's pretty close most nights. It's not, it's not close just because I think these words don't matter and I'm not creative enough to come up with something new. It's because I want them to know this, but I begin with this line. Father, help them to know how much you love them. right, because whether they're smart or kind, are courageous, or compassionate, whether they choose to follow Jesus, that all stems from the singular place that they would know that God loves them. See, what I want them to know is I want them to know that the essence of God is love. His nature, his character, that is who God is. We've gotten God wrong in lots of other ways, but that's who God is. In fact, I, maybe this makes me a bad dad or a bad pastor, I'm not sure, maybe both, um, But I've only made my kids memorize one Bible verse. Literally one. We'll get to it in a few minutes. It's the only verse, I mean, they might know more, but it's not because I've worked with them. They know one because of me. Because it's the one I think that will hopefully set the trajectory for their entire life. One verse that I want them to know. Because I think it matters. And so it's not just my kids that I want to know. I want all people to know that the essence, character, And nature of God is love. Say that again. I want all people to know that the essence, character, and nature of God is love. Everything else stems from that. We've got a lot wrong in church history about who God is. But when we nail this, we get a lot more right. So I was thinking about my own life growing up, right? Um, if I'm honest, it was fear as a teenager that kept me from wandering too far from the faith and doing too many dumb things. Um, I was afraid, literally. Like, I'm I mean, going to think, i have got it's not around anymore, because I think it literally is just totally fear-based. Um, heaven's gates and hell's flames. I mean, who goes to this stuff, right? Who, who would send their kid to this? Anyway, I'll talk talked to my parents about it, and maybe my counselor. No, um, but, but these are the things, like, I was so scared of the idea of hell that I didn't even think about the character of God as love. Like, that never really crossed my mind. I was just scared of hell. And so I was thinking about this this week. Fear is a terrible lord and a worse master. In fact, we know the Scripture says that perfect love drives out fear. So I was living from a place in my relationship with God that is not where God wants us to live. In fact, fear might get you into a relationship with God, but it's sure not going to keep you there. See, fear may be what brings you to that relationship with God, but it's not enough to keep you there throughout your life. It's not. Fear doesn't work that way. So I was thinking about this week about how... Um, there's a theologian in the Church of the Nazarene named Mildred Bangs Winecoop. She's been dead for a few years now, but she wrote some words I thought were helpful. And I love her little quote here on fear. She says this Fear closes the mind and the heart and dries up the source of love. Fear closes the mind and the heart and dries up the source. See, I think John knew that fear was destructive to our relationship with God. John, the guy who spent all this time with Jesus, John's the one who writes to us in the other part, and we're not looking at today, we're looking at John chapter 3 today, but, but John is the one who writes, recording the words of Jesus, when Jesus says, I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me, and the Father is me, like this is who I am. So in other words, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus doesn't come to say, hey, um, God's changed, by the way. Just thought you should know God's different than he used to be. Jesus comes to say, hey, you maybe have just misunderstood who God has always been. And so let me tell you who God is. He's me. He looks like me. He sounds like me. He acts like me. And that changes everything because Jesus is the embodiment of the essence the character and the nature of God, and what's the nature and character and essence of God? Love. This should begin to reshape how we think of everything. And so, the verse we're looking at today is the passage is John three sixteen to twenty one. In John three sixteen, you might see that like at every sporting event. Well, except right now because there's paper cutouts and end zones and end of field. So no, you don't see it. But they don't put them in the paper cutout. But at in a normal time, you might see that verse plastered there. It literally is the only verse I've ever taught my kids that they can memorize and they can probably tell you. They'll probably scribble a word and they'll go, oh, I knew I forgot something, right? Like, that's how that works. But this passage that John writes might include the most well-known passage in the New Testament, maybe in the whole entire Bible. Here's what John writes, beginning at verse 16. For God so loved the world been done in the sight of God. Now, this section of scripture comes right after a conversation, or even during. We're not really sure with a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees' rulers of the day. He was one of the religious people of the day, and and so he knew all the right rules, and he kept all the right rules, and he did all the right things. But he knew there was still something missing. Something in his very soul said this cannot be enough. can't be enough. So he sneaks to kind of see Jesus at night because he didn't want people to know he went to see him during the day because he knows that God has promised he'll send someone to save and redeem and restore and make all things new. He knows the scripture is clear about that. But his expectation like all the other Jewish expectations was that he would come, the savior would come and overthrow the empires of the world and make Israel a great nation again. That's what would happen, but that isn't how God so Nicodemus has heard Jesus. He has watched his life and his ministry, and he's gone, okay, I'm seeing lots of stuff that the Scripture calls us to, but, but it's not how I thought it was going to be. So he goes to Jesus. And from these words, we get a couple of things that I think are so important for us. Let me begin with one that I think matters above all else. God desperately loves For God so loves people, all people, and that means you. And Jesus begins by talking about this eternal life in his passage, and his idea that you can enter into eternal life here and now in this moment, not just when you die. Nearly every scholar talks about this is Jesus saying, he wants to give you the very life of God himself. And so I, I love this idea. I think it's helpful for us when we think about this passage. The full force of evil took its best shot at Jesus. And love still won. This particular text, this particular verse, John 3.16, God takes the initiative. It is always God who makes the first move. God always makes the first move to come to us. He wants us to know, I love you, and I will always come to you. Because the very identity of God is love. But what about? There is no what about. what Jesus reminds us, God is love. This is who God is. God is the loving Father who longingly waits with eager expectation that his kids may come home and they would really know that he is for them, that he is in their corner, that he loves them, and that he would do anything for them, even go to the place of death. The width of God's love is the entire world. I love these words by Augustine. He said, God loves each of us as if there was only one of us. God loves each of us as if there was only one of us. Nicodemus thought he knew who God was and he was against a lot of stuff and he had a lot of rules. But what Nicodemus didn't know was that God loved him. And there was nothing Nicodemus could do to earn God's love cannot be earned. It's gift. Always gift. So what do you do with that? Maybe these words are helpful. For God so loved that at the cross, we not only lay down our sin, but we lay down our belief that we are unlovable. You are worthy because Jesus' death validates you. During this season of Lent, we have a cross in the back of the room. And so, every week we've told you that during this sermon, we'll have a song at the end, and during that time of response, if you want to go right on a card what separates you from God's love, maybe it's your own unbelief that you are worthy and lovable, that you're good enough, you just run on that card and stick it to a nail on the cross. And what you'll find on Easter morning is all those cards will no longer be there. Because that's kind of how God works. What has so often defined us doesn't have to be the defining characteristic of our life. What separates us from God's love does not have to be there forever. That is not who God is. In fact, I'd say it this way. I love this quote from Henry Now, and He says this, From all eternity, long before you were born and became a part of history, you existed in God's heart. Long before your parents admired you, or your friends acknowledged your gifts, or your teachers, colleagues, and employers encouraged you, you were already chosen. The eyes of love had seen you as precious, as of infinite beauty, as of eternal value. When love chooses, it chooses with a perfect sensitivity for the unique beauty of the chosen one. It chooses without making anyone else feel excluded, to be chosen does not mean that others are rejected. I love that because one of the things that we sometimes can be guilty, guilty of in the church is that because I'm in, you must be out. Or because I'm in, I'm better than you. And that's just not how God works. And when we act in that way, God forgive us. But what we begin to see in the person of Jesus, He wants us to understand that our best, life, our best future is wrapped up in knowing Jesus and that in and of itself is life changing and life altering. And then we see these words in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Did you catch that? God did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Like it's bad theology when people say, God's going to blow this place up. This is bad. They're poor biblical scholars. It's Not who God is. What we find is God is going to redeem and make new, make all things new. This is the character of God because that's what love does. It redeems and restores and reconciles and makes right because that's who God is. And so what we see in the death of Jesus is not that like you're so bad, God had to die for you. What we see in Jesus is the fullness of God's love that says, no matter how far from me you think you are, that here's how far love will go. Farther. Not even death itself will keep the love of God from you. To think about who God is in that, these words are helpful. Jesus laid down his life, not just for his friends, or his family, or even his countrymen, even for his enemies. That's who God is. We see it in the person of Jesus because that's what love looks like. I know it doesn't make sense in the world in which we live. But the kingdom of God doesn't make sense in the world in which we live either. But it doesn't mean it's not present. And it doesn't mean we're not called to live into it. It doesn't mean we're not supposed to be that kind of person. What we find in this passage is clear over and over and over again, God picks us. But the second half of this passage leads this question: Do we pick God? God picks us. Unequivocally. Jesus makes it incredibly clear by His life, His death and his resurrection. God picks you and I 100 times out of 100. The question for you and I is, do we then pick God? And often we don't because we like things that are comfortable, things that we know. We want what we know. We, want, we like the stuff that we know, right? Like, if I know it, it's easier. So I was thinking about that this week, about what do I like because I know it that maybe I shouldn't like to maybe let go of. What I'm about to say is a bad illustration because I'm not letting go of it to my wife's chagrin. I've got this old t-shirt. Um, it literally has holes in it. I, I mean, I only wear it around our house I don't even wear it to cut the grass because it's got too many holes in it. But it's, like, super comfortable. It was my, from my freshman year of college, and we had won the regional that year, and they gave us T-shirts, and, and it was such a good T-shirt. I mean, the only time I wear it now in public is, like, under a sweater or under a shirt, so no one knows I'm wearing it. Because I know a couple things about that T-shirt. I know that if I wear it in public, it makes a really poor first impression. I also know my wife doesn't want to be seen with me if I wear that t-shirt in public. I know that she's tried to get rid of it because it's not something I want other people to see. But isn't that how we live so much of our lives? We have stuff that we do or have done or have said or continue to do and say that we want no one to know about. We like it because it's comfortable. We know it. But if other people saw it, we know they would think differently of us. That's what we leave it buried. We don't want it to see the light of day. Right? What are those things? The things that hold us hostage? All kinds of addictions. Things that make us feel superior than others, right? I'll just hold on to my superiority. We're going to chase after something. We're going to find something out there, whatever out there is, and not deal with whatever's going on in here. I'm just going to go to that place and figure that out. Our insecurities, whatever it might be, we hang on to those things, and they keep us captive. And they live in dark places. But what Jesus wants us to know is this kind of life he's inviting us into, it requires letting go. It requires something uncomfortable. It leads us, though, to a place of true freedom where we find that we are finally free of what has held us bondage or captive. Whatever has been holding us in the dark, when it sees light, it can't help but be healed. It can't help but disappear. And for many of us, it's whatever is just so sinful in our lives we don't want to let go of because we know it. And the idea of letting go is scary. Let's be honest, it's scary to let go and let God do a new thing in our lives, to radically change our lives, to live in a new way, to believe that God really does love you and I with the kind of love that will die for the sake of all people. That requires letting go of some stuff. But it's an invitation to a life of wholeness. We can talk about it as holiness. I'm going to quote, Mildred bangs wine coop one more time, and she writes these words. She says, "Holiness is wholeness and health, and everything that God requires of the person, from the first stirrings of conviction to the last act of life, is in the interest of that wholesomeness. We will find a life of wholeness when we know that." God Let go some other things. Here's what John continued to write as he quoted Jesus Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light, for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So What's he saying there? We get to choose or not choose our own condemnation. You and I get to make that decision. God said, hey, listen, I'm in. I'm all in on you. I am in on you as much as I can be in on you. I am yours. I love you. You get to decide if you want to be in on me or not. Your pick. I'm making it as clear as I can that there is no place you can go, there is nothing that you can do that I will not come for you, and I'm coming for you now, and you see it in the person of my son.
1: Because what is the nature
0: and essence and character of God? It's Jesus. Who we'll would go to the place of even death. There's nothing that will separate God's love from you. You get to decide. Will we choose light or dark? Because the, honestly, dark's easy to embrace because we know it. But light brings healing, and living in light is living in truth. As I was looking at this, um, this passage this week, there's one, the last line in that last verse uh, where it says, Truth literally, literally translates one who does. And so I came across these words, those who live truly will discover that truth is not something you can write down or tell someone about under cover of darkness. Truth is a way of being that heals us, that makes us true, as truly human was intended to be. It's actually pretty easy to know true things, but we would chase a million lies." And conspiracy theories to avoid the pain of becoming the kind of person who does truth. Because this requires the vulnerability of exposure. That's why we love the darkness. Today, you and I have a choice. Same choice we really have every day. We get to choose to embrace the character of God, his nature, his essence love? Will we choose that love. Will it be what defines our life or will it be defined by so many other things? That really is the question you and I get to wrestle every single day with. Are we all in on this or not? Our tradition calls this holiness or even wholeness. It's this idea that we want to say, God, you can have all of me. I want to be wholly yours. Think about these words from Oswald Chambers as he talks about this particular verse, John 3.16. Here's what he writes John 316 means that God completely and absolutely gave himself to us. In our surrender, we must give ourselves to God in the same way he gave himself for us. Totally, unconditionally, and without reservation. Is that the relationship we have with God? Without reservation? Totally unconditionally. Is there an area of our life where we have said, God, your love is awesome and I appreciate it, but you can't speak into this part of my life. God, you can have all of me except for this. Or are we willing to live in such a way where we say, God, I want to be holy yours so that I might become holy as you are. I might be one who does truth by how I live and I live. Here's the invitation for all to find true freedom. Have our hearts made new. We have this invitation today to lay down all the things that have held us captive and been in darkness, that we can choose to live into light. We can choose to live as this unique new person. So let's do truth by how we live. You can have that life today, right here, right now. The eternal life that God invites you to, the very life of God Himself, you and I are invited into in this moment, in this space, at this time. You just say, I'm in now. God, you've made the first move. And I will respond in kind. Why? Because we know that God so loved the world. He gave His only Son who believes in him can have eternal life now. And in that, he's not going to condemn the world, but he's going to redeem and save and make new. And so you and I today get to choose that life. Because at the end of the day, here is what we know. Love wins. And so in just a moment, as As I pray, the praise team is going to come, and they're going to lead us to one more song. We'll sing It Is Well Again. And so here's my challenge for you today. Um, Maybe you want to come and kneel and pray. That's always an option. But also, maybe you just want to write, like, hey, there's some things in my life that are keeping me captive, and I'm going to go write those on a card. I'm going to stick these on the cross because I'm done with them. There are things that have been living in darkness in my life, and I don't want them to define my life any longer. Or maybe today you're going, God, I just want to remind you that I'm all in. And so I'm going to respond and go, to whatever happens in my life, I know that you love me, and so I can sing these words, it is well with my soul. Because I know, I know that you love me. Please stand and pray with me this morning. Father, we come before you today and we thank you for your love, for the way you come to us, the way you desire for us to know you in a way that is life-changing and life-giving. And so we pray today that you would help us to sense your love in all the areas of our life that we have been held captive, that we would lay them down, that we would learn to walk in light as you walk in light. That we would know the essence, the nature, and the character of God is love because we see it in the person of Jesus. And then we might find that our very lives are shaped by Father, we ask this day that you might do the work in our heart, in our mind, and our lives. That You might shape us in ways that look like your son. Like Nicodemus, we may have had certain expectations of the way God was to work in the world, and maybe we just got parts of them wrong. Maybe we bought into wrong visions of who God was, but we want to know that this, if, if who God is, is the person of Jesus, then we want to lean into that, and we want to be shaped by that. We want your love to be the defining characteristic of our lives because we know that even in your son's death, that in the end, love wins. And So, Father, help us to live as a people of love, as a people who live in the light and not in the darkness, as a people who seek after you with all that we are. We pray all this in your son Jesus.